Check Me Out is made possible in part by the Friends of the Amarillo Public Library, Brick and Elm Magazine, and a grant from Humanities Texas, the state affiliate of the National Endowment for the Humanities. My Pentex friend was, had his hand in front of my face, his hand in front of his face, because he didn't want our eyes to meet, and he said, I don't know if I should go any further. Do you want to know this? And I was like, hey, well, yeah. heck, I'll just say heck. <laughs> heck yeah. <laughs> because did the hospital send me home with the wrong baby? Yeah. Or what? So the of very course. next morning, I'm calling to see if any of there are there any Hendersons born the same day where Matthew was born. No, thank goodness there weren't. Well, where did this come from? Well, blood doesn't lie. This is a DNA test, and there's not a single Wallace in here. And my older son has Wallace tattooed on his leg. You will know it is time to turn the page when you hear the chimes ring like this. Welcome to Check Me Out, a podcast for book lovers. I'm Amy Hart, and today we are going to be talking about genealogy. Uh, We're going to talk about how you get started, what happens if you might find some roadblocks in the way, and you know what you need to do to complete your family tree. I have a couple of guests with me today, so I'm going to have you introduce yourselves. I'm going to start with you. Hi, I'm Cindy Wallace from the Amarillo Public Library. I work at the reference desk, and I wear a lot of hats. Um, but one of my main hats is why we're here today. I absolutely love genealogy. I have taught genealogy classes served as president and vice president of the local genealogy society, um, made just hundreds of friends along the way. Um, But at the reference desk, I answer interesting questions (laughs) all day long. I love to hear that. And tell me about you. I'm Natalie Barrett, and I'm a budding genealogist. Oh, I love that. And I am real (laughs) excited to share some of my experiences with my new hobby. Great. I can't wait to hear all about it. So, Let's start with what's first. So how do you get started if somebody wants to look into their genealogy? How do you get going? They usually come in with nothing, and then we have to start with that. Um, but how you get started is with you. It's, it's fun. It's easy. Uh, the more questions you have, the more questions you're going to have. But you start with at least two pieces of paper and a little bit of information. Um, One is called a pedigree chart. I would say if I have to pick, that's the most important one. And a pedigree chart is numbered, one, two, three, four, five. And every person on your pedigree chart has one unique number. For example, you would be number one. And all across the top of the page is going to be the paternal or daddy's side. Daddy will be number two. And your mother would be number three, and the maternal side goes all across the bottom of a typical pedigree chart. These are very common. It's easy to figure your own numbers. If you're one, the men are always even. Daddy would be two. Granddaddy on daddy's side would be four. And to figure out the number for the wife of them, you add one. So your mama would be three, and on your daddy's side, the female for your grandfather would be that four plus one equals five. So the numbering, once you get it, everybody has a unique number. That's pretty easy. The second most important would be something that I use often when I'm doing collateral searching. In typical genealogy research, you have to have a place to store the kids in a family, and that is a family chart. So it's a separate piece of paper, 
And at the top, you usually put the mom and dad of every single family. So your mom and dad. And then in the order that you and your siblings were born in, those are listed going down the page. So think about it today. We normally have anywhere from two to six people we might list as children in that family. But we don't have to go back very far, about 100 years, uh, to start seeing, like my dad, 13 children in the family and occasionally more than that. Right. When you get into 18 and 20 and, and more. Yeah, so and a couple, they, and a couple had, of wives. Yeah, when they had the farms to run and, and they needed a whole lot of children to do and all the work for say, them. Right? If the wife died in childbirth, which was common, yeah. you're right. They needed somebody to raise that family and run that farm, uh, mostly agricultural, agrarian. But they got married within the year. There was another wife and maybe another baby on the way. And yeah. so especially when you get into the late 1700s, into the 1800s, it's possible to find large families. If someone wants to get started, they come to the downtown library. Is that where you're usually at? It is. Okay. At the second floor, is there's a big reference desk. Um, there's three of us that currently work there. The library is open seven days a week. So you have an opportunity at that desk to help get started. I have so many materials on my floor and I can walk you to a number of different things that we'll probably discuss today. Okay, so I walk in. I know probably just up to my grandparents is as high as I know. What is the first thing you, you go grab? I mean, I, how, where do we start? Good question. I hand you that she, these sheets of paper, the pedigree chart and the family group sheet. I have a whole web page of my own inside Amarillo Public Library resources genealogy, and all these best of forms. You can print at home. You can bring them in. I can print them for you. 20 pages a day we print at my desk, no charge. So I can help you do um, research. And there's different ways to do it depending on your skills. And I do a lot of uh, DNA interpretation because I make recommendations on which companies to get your DNA tested in. But on my floor, it ranges from free Ancestry on a bank of, I think I have five computers with Ancestry on them right now, all free. Just come in, sit down, help yourself. But my job there is to help you. Oh, I'm so excited. Like, I really want to come see you now because I, I did get DNA tested through Ancestry uh, several years ago. My husband and I did that for Christmas one year. We got you know, it was on special for Christmas and we thought, what a fun thing to do. I was surprised at how it doesn't really fill in your family tree. That's kind of on you to do that part of it. But I did see like, oh, well, there's my cousin. There's my family that lives in California. So it, it pulled all of the people that were on Ancestry that had accounts that I could see. But I, t I can't see much more than that as far as, so I need your help on that. It's addictive. We were doing a partnership recently with our genealogy open house that Natalie uh, was a good participant in. And I would really like for Natalie to tell you her story. Yeah, I want to know, how did you get started in this? Well, the first thing you need to do when you come in to see Cindy is you need to have the name of your parents 
let's say you're looking for your father, you want his name, full name, you want his birth date, date of death if he's deceased, mm-hmm. and at least the city or state that you know of. And that's going to open the first door for you when you walk in with just one piece of paper. That's the one to bring. Okay. I have something I wanted to share. I lost both my younger sister and then later my brother in 2021. It was a big surprise for me. This made my research even more interesting. I recalled a story that my brother had told me last year after I shared with him that I was starting my genealogy ancestry research, and he thought that was pretty cool. And I'm in Texas, he's in Michigan. I grew up in a real estate and insurance family business. After my father retired, my brother took over the business. He told me a few years ago a gentleman came into the brokerage, and he introduced himself as a relative to our deceased father. He was wanting to know if we wanted to join the corporate family business of the same name as our insurance agency, mm. which was a statewide business. And uh, he, my brother decided, oh, I think I'll wait on that. I'm going to decide. Well, that was on rest for a while. Then after finding this out about somebody came in from our, our lineage, I thought, okay, this has started my search again. So I called one of the agency brokery offices, and I got one in Detroit, Michigan, and I told them who I was and who I was searching for. And they said, oh, that's our grandfather. He's 90 years old, but he's retired. And I thought, oh, no. And he said, no, leave your contacts. So I left my contact information. About a month later, I called because I didn't hear anything from anybody. So I thought, well, I'll just give him a call. In the meantime, I started going down to the downtown library area where I could use the computers for ancestry. And they're very helpful. At the library, all kinds of research books, manuals. Later on, I received a phone text on my number that had a Michigan area code, and I found out the family had contacted me. We texted for over an hour and a half talking about family, and she told me basically where my clan fit into that family and gave me a contact number for a cousin of her 90-year-old husband who was the keeper of their genealogy records. A few days later, I called the number. Now I have a new cousin, and uh, he sent me by email a huge multi-generational family tree. Wow. You never know what you find when you start your research. It's wonderful. My Library Does That? Presented by Check Me Out, a podcast for book lovers. Did you know the Amarillo Public Library offers free passes to local attractions? Families can check out passes to visit the Amarillo Zoo, the Don Harrington Discovery Center, and Wildcat Bluff Nature Center. Passes can be checked out, just like a book, at each of the APL's five locations. Each pass gives one family, that's two adults and up to six children, one week of free admission. More information is available at amarillolibrary.org. Primary source material are things like birth certificate, marriage certificate, death certificates are fantastic. We even allow things like obits out of the newspaper, even though some, you know, that sometimes is secondhand, but we have to count that as pretty accurate information. Headstones, so there's, oh, and land, you know, any kind of legal document would be like a will, a probate, uh, an argument and how it got settled in court anything legal like that. But the big three are marriage, birth, 
and death. And that's why, as Natalie was talking about, it's so important that you have the, as much of those dates as you can get me for the people you do know about. And with that, we can jump off, find you source documents, find the proof, and go a whole lot further back fairly quickly. Keep in mind, there's always going to be stumbling blocks and roadblocks, and somebody's going to drop off the face of the earth. Just recently, I had an appointment at the library with a really interesting woman. She had searched for a female relative. It was a ways back in the 1800s for many years and never, you know, she got to a certain point and then she hit what's called a brick wall. And a brick wall is where you're stuck. Mm -hmm. Now, think about this. A brick wall to you means I can't find anything else. I keep looking. I'm stuck. But to Cindy, that brick wall means let me help you find other places to look. Also, just because you looked, say, on Ancestry, and I can tell you so many others to refer to to double-check yourself, but keep in mind that just because you didn't find it today doesn't mean you won't find it next week. For example, FamilySearch.org, beautiful, free account, largest collection of genealogical material in the world, way more than Ancestry, which we pay top dollar for, Right. I would recommend that you bounce back and forth between those two and compare the information that you're finding. Not everybody has a tree up on Ancestry and up on Family Search. I don't have, I think I started one 107 years ago, but <laughs> not much of a tree on Family Search, but that doesn't mean I don't respect what they've got there. They scan about 10,000 pages a day all over the world, which means if you didn't find it yesterday, you might find it next wow. week when they get it out there. That's interesting. That's really cool. Okay, so one of the things I want to talk about, this is where my roadblock is kind of coming in. My, what do you, what do you call it, brick wall? So my husband and I, when we did our ancestry test, the thing that we both had a problem with, and I don't know if they've changed it since, you know where I'm going with this, don't you? I do. Native American rights. What's the first step in finding, you know, tracing the Native American roots? Native American can be difficult, even more difficult is adoptive research. Those are both real tricky and take some expertise, sometimes even a paid professional. But in the case that you're talking about, the personal case of the Native American, DNA tests are wonderful. I can always help point you in the right direction and interpret it for you. But I will tell you a couple of things about DNA tests, and that is those $99 Christmas specials, I don't care what company it is, but let's say Ancestry, that tells you you're getting a, probably a 12-marker chromosome test. They do give you some family finder information. You do get something for that $100 investment. But to get a real good chromosomal comparison, it takes more than just 12 out of the bazillions of chromosomes. And I have certain companies that I can recommend for people to look at. Um, there's more than one really good one, but you have to pay for what you're getting. No big surprise, right? Not a surprise. And and at this point, I think both of us would do that because we're so interested in it. Sometimes unnamed people in your pictures is about all you have to go on. So the photography, yeah. um, any family Bibles, anything you've got at home, start digging around, pulling it out. I'll need some of those to help you find answers for you and your husband, for example. But on the, I want you to know ahead of time on DNA, it's never 
going to come back and say, oh, you're Choctaw, right. you're Cherokee, right. you're Hopi. It doesn't yeah. work like that. Okay. It will come back and tell you you're, you have some Asian in you, which is what we did before we crossed the Bering Strait and worked our way down into North America. Well, that's where Native Americans come from. And that part of your DNA, we can test you way back to the beginning of time. But as far as, oh, you were Cherokee, yeah. it doesn't work quite that okay. way. So that's going to be more on the genealogy end of it. That's going to be on the real paperwork research. I, I teach a whole class in how to do that. And it's great fun to have people come up with their Native American cards because they've worked hard to I, get those. That would be my husband if he were ever to get there. He would be so proud of that. So I love that, though. That's, that's just, just keep him. It can be done. Okay. Never give up. The lady that I had the appointment with just recently had her brick wall. She couldn't find her woman. And within... Less than thirty minutes. It was. I was really on a hot ticket that day. I used what I had. I punched it into Ancestry. I know what to look for. I know how to watch for every tiny detail on the edges of pages. Anyway, the lost ancestor turned out to be. I think her name was Rebecca Crowley or Crowder, and I found her in North Carolina, South Carolina area, and she turned out to be. A 100% Choctaw Indian. Well, the Choctaw, you have to, oh, you have to love history and you have to know history and you have to want to dig. But the Choctaw and the Cherokee living in similar areas in the Carolinas and in North Georgia back around the time of the Civil War and prior to, just think about the, what we think of as the Cherokee or the Trail of Tears herding Native Americans into what was called Indian Territory, Oklahoma Territory, before it's ever divided into things that you and I know. So I trace this woman with facts, with proof. We lose her for a time in the Carolinas. Loser, loser, loser. Well, don't know where else to look for. Let's jump ahead a little bit. Lo and behold, I find her in, in, just like you're talking about, Amy, I find her in Indian Territory. She has participated, shall we say, in the Trail of Tears and survived. Wow. And I find her in the doll's row with a doll's row number, and I can verify everything except for when she was physically walking across the United States. Wow. And And my patron sat there with tears. I'm sure. Yeah. Because she had wanted this so bad for so long, and she couldn't believe that somebody she'd hardly worked with could go here's the proof that's incredible my husband had received a lot of uh genealogy information years ago when we were raising our younger children who are adults now he wanted to know about his great grandfather who was in the civil war and i went into this site that was called find a grave and i looked it up. i have done find a grave before i was actually going to bring cool. that up a minute ago yeah. i have taken pictures and uploaded them to find a grave for other people in other places so um, shall we so, tell Amy about dead Fred? Oh gosh! Yeah. <laughs> if, if you like, please to find, do. If, if you like to find a grave, I'm writing it down. You need right to write. Now. You need to write down <laughs> deadfred.com. My students love dead Fred. It is another find a grave, a little bit different, but lots yeah. of pictures there. It's amazing. Okay, so I'm going to set up find a grave for people that don't know. So you go to a website, and it's literally pictures of graves. But you can request a grave. So if it's in your area, it will notify you and say someone is looking for this certain grave. They think it's at this, you know, cemetery. They think they might have the plot number. Sometimes you have to go to the cemetery, find the plot number, find where it's at, and then you take a picture 
and then you upload it. And it is so rewarding because people have waited their whole lives sometimes just for the dates alone to help with their genealogy search. So wait till you hear what this. After I went in to find a grave and located where his uh, great-grandfather was, we located his burial site and what county it was in, and we found out he was in Oklahoma. So we decided this past Memorial Weekend that we would take a road trip. Before we left, I decided, and I'd learned this from Cindy in our class, call the county in which the possible cemetery was located. So I finally, and it's a tiny, tiny little town, <laughs> Sulphur. Sulphur, Oklahoma. Anyway, I called the county and she says, oh, that's too small. Don't worry. Just divide up and walk around the little cemetery. So after we got there, we divided up and walked around and finally found the grave rock. And I say rock because it was just a chiseled rock with the last name on it, dated 1914. It was very awesome. Yeah. Well, we had seen a picture in the find a grave of the rock. Wow. And you could barely see the chiseled name in it. But I thought, he, my husband said, we got to see it. Yeah. So <laughs> it was so exciting that we went. We Everybody falls into a category of you're either very excited to find the rock with the name on it, or you're not. <laughs> Those little things, like I think you either get it or you it's just not your thing. Well, cemeteries, I guess, to some people are kind of morbid. But I grew up going with my parents to Memphis, Texas, where the grandparents are buried. And we took tuna fish sandwiches and soda pop. And we sort of had a picnic. They didn't, I don't remember them calling <laughs> yeah. it that. But we sat there and yeah. had food. And yeah. I still do that with tuna fish sandwiches while I'm hunting. And I literally like to hang out in cemeteries. They're not morbid to me. They're a continuation of a story in a great way. Sometimes you find people you didn't know in your family buried right next to the one you went to look for. You may find four or five others. I had a good friend named Sonora Fansler. We were in the um, Celine, Grand Celine, Texas area doing some research. And very similar to Natalie's story, we were in a small-ish cemetery. We couldn't find even a rock with the name that we were looking for. And it, they didn't have an office, so what do you do? You're in the cemetery, and there, it's not like going to the local Lano office where they will help you yeah. find what you need. Or a memorial park, they would do it too here in Amarillo. But this little Grand Celine, they had no office, so what do I do? Because I'm here to try to help this friend on her trip, her literal search trip. And in the end, I decided I'm going to call Every funeral home in town, well, it's not that big a town, and there was only one funeral home, lucky me. And so I get there. They're very nice. We're herded back to an office. We're not out where the typical funeral might be happening, you know, getting in anyone's way. But we, in the end, were treated very well, and they dig out when I tell them what I need, literally a map of the old part of the cemetery. So they go to the closet, and they pull out a roller blind, you know, like you had on your window, a yes. old tiny roller blind, <laughs> and glued to the back of the roller blind is the map of the part of the cemetery that I need. I take pictures with my phone, like you would do, Amy, and we go right back out to that cemetery with roller blind information. Wow. And locate five of her relatives, only one of which we knew about. That is so cool. I love, love, love so stories like that. <laughs> what I would tell you is sometimes you don't even know the questions to yeah. ask. So you might have to have someone with you or put those two heads, three heads, four heads together and come up with what might be a strange idea. 
because the typical person walking through a little old cemetery like Natalie's talking about, and there's no office there. I mean, she was told to just go out there and walk, and that's what she and her party did that day. Yeah. But the truth is, if you can't find it, and we didn't even have a rock, Natalie. So it was on her back of a rolly blind what I needed. Wow. That's amazing. One thing I learned also is a cemetery uh, is different from a graveyard. A graveyard are usually in a church oh. yard, and cemeteries are what we have, like Lano. Here. I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, so that was something, wow. you know, with every new thing you learn, there's always a new vocabulary. Totally, So yeah. that's something I'm really learning as yeah. well, is the vocabulary for genealogy. Yeah, so. I'm sure. Brick and Elm Magazine is Amarillo's lifestyle magazine. Launched by Michelle McCaffrey and me, Jason Boyette, this independent publication celebrates the people, businesses, and heritage of this area. Along with our flagship print magazine, Brick and Elm also publishes the Brickly email newsletter every week, plus Flavorillo, a bi-weekly food and drink newsletter, plus digital content at brickandelm.com. Brick and Elm highlights the lifestyle and culture of the Texas Panhandle. Brick and Elm is available online or at newsstands near you. All right, so I want to talk about some of the horror stories that we might have. So one of my friends recently did a DNA test, and she said that, you know, you submit it, it comes back, and it gives you a pop-up window now that says, are you sure you want to see your results you might find some things that you are not prepared to see, yada, yada, whatever. And she said, oh, of course. And she found out that she has two half brothers that she did not know were out there, which was good. I think for her, she was more prepared for it than they were. She actually did reach out to both of them. Well, because one of them had had the same test done. And so he said, this is weird. It's saying that we're half siblings. So have you seen a lot of things like that? In doing this kind of work? I'm sure you do. Hardly a week goes by, but I'll give you a very personal one. And I use it in my classes. Keep in mind, I've been doing genealogy since I was 13. I've written several books. I am very accustomed to deep research. And then thanks to George West, who worked at Pantex for years, I got a really good steeping in DNA interpretation. So my own horror story is that I had... My daddy, Warren Stevens, he was 92 when I finally got his DNA done just in the nick of time, and he came back textbook perfect. If you're trying to show your students this is what it might look like, no surprises. I would have thought there would have been some to tell you the truth, but <laughs> there weren't any on that particular line, and I can lay out those charts to this day and say here's what a normal expected one looks like. But I would tell anybody I don't believe in hurting people especially if they're still alive, and you think it will upset. I don't even believe in upsetting an old person. So if you think it's going to, step back. I, you can put it in your notes all day long, but don't hurt somebody. So daddy passes away, mama passes away, and believe me, I got more questions now than I ever had. Then I decide to test my own children. They are now in their early 40s, and James is the older one, Matt's the younger one. Matt was willing to get his DNA test done. I did that first. And where I was talking to you about 12 markers, these are going to cost $150 a piece, plus a family finder, which is another $150. So 
expect about 300 per person for a really good test. Okay. So I get Matthew's back, and my name is Cindy Wallace, and Matthew is Matthew Lee Wallace, born both the boys born in Abilene, Texas, Hendrick Medical Center. Oh, wait where your mind is going to go if you're the mama. And we get Matthew's DNA back, and he's not a Wallace at all. He's a Henderson. What? That's what I said. What? And George, was <laughs> my, my Pentex friend, was had his hand in front of my face, his hand in front of his face, because he didn't want our eyes to meet, and he said, I don't know if I should go any further. Do you want to know this? And I was like, hey, well, yeah. heck, I'll just say heck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because did the hospital send me home with the wrong baby? Yeah. Or what? So the of very course. next morning, I'm calling to see if any are there, are there any Hendersons born on near the same day where Matthew was born at Hendricks Medical Center in Abilene. No, thank goodness there weren't. Well, where did this come from? Well, blood doesn't lie. This is the DNA test, and there's not a single Wallace in here. And my older son has Wallace tattooed on his leg. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I have done years of research on the Wallaces and tied into all kinds of famous Wallaces in the same bloodline. But my kid's not a Wallace, okay. I've only been married to one man. I was 18 years old, got married at Polk Street Methodist Church with Dr. Browers. That means my husband wasn't the Wallace he thought he was. How I wish I had my mother-in-law to look her in the face to see if she knew the answer to my question. But it's my father-in-law that I really needed to look in the face. They're all gone. So I can't ask them. What? So I'm like, okay, <laughs> this is paternal. They've had, we, there are paternal, there's mitochondrial, and there's, there's different kinds of tests. And I start looking, okay, well, my father-in-law, James Elmer Wallace, that my children are named after, he was born in a half dugout in Post, Texas, who's buried nearby. Well, I get all the way to Plainview. They're not that far apart. And guess what I find slews of? No Wallaces and tons of Hendersons. Okay, Steve, my husband's granddaddy, worked for the railroad and had a reputation, and there's no one left alive that this will hurt, but he had a reputation for after he worked with the railroad, get the paycheck, and let's just say he didn't come straight home and spend the money right there on the family. Mm. That would give you enough of an idea. So he was out of pocket a lot. How I wish I had the closest thing to a grandmother I ever knew was my husband's, I called her Grandma Biddy because everybody called her Biddy and kind of uneducated but lovely lady who held a clothespin over my stomach and told me I was going to have a boy. And she was right, by the way. <laughs> 50% chance, but yes, still Wouldn't right. you like to look, <laughs> the, you know, Indeed. the mama of, wouldn't you like to look that mama of in the face? And even if they didn't want to answer, you'd probably still get your answer, right? So I believe that my father-in-law, who I loved with all my heart, my beloved father-in-law, wasn't the Wallace he thought he was. He's a much tinier, skeleton-boned uh, human being than his brothers were much bigger, much taller. And when you go back and you start to go, well, maybe he doesn't look very much like some of these others. I see some of Grandma Biddy's traits in him. But I believe, and boy, does that DNA prove that it probably was um, someone else stepping in. Okay, years go down the road, several years, James refuses, my older son refuses to get his DNA test. He didn't much like the answer I got on Matthew. He, he's probably going, they screwed that up, right? Right, yeah. yeah. Okay, so yeah. I let it, I, I really, I let a bunch of time go by Natalie, and I was like, maybe James forgot. <laughs> I'm paying for all of it. <laughs> right. You know, mama's paying for it. They're out in Savannah, Georgia. 
So he takes the test. My older son that wouldn't take the test took the test. And? And he's not a Wallace either. <gasps> he's an equal 98% Henderson. No Oh, my gosh. Kidding. So both boys who just had the one dad. Oh, my gosh. That gave me cold chills. It it's should. Like, it should. Oh, Isn't that fantastic? But besides, besides being a highfalutin personal tale, right? Yeah. Okay, so, but that teaches you if you can't handle some drastic news like that, you might want to take up golf. Yeah. Um, you're going, at some point, you're going to find a really juicy story. Yeah. It might hit closer to home than you're prepared for. I had the most wonderful student. I still remember his first and last name. Lovely gentleman. And he um, he was in the library researching on Ancestry one day, and all of a sudden he's wanting my help, and it turns out after some research and some proof that both living He's got his dad with a family in Amarillo, Texas, and a fa- another family, all alive, have brothers and sisters like you're talking about, just over the Oklahoma border. Oh, my god! Just gosh. a few miles away. Yeah, so you never know what it's going to bring up. but I And it might not even be within your immediate family, but it might be, like you're saying. But it could be Cindy's story. Yeah, absolutely. And this is why when Cindy gets information from you, she's been there, done that, yeah. seen it all. Is this why you like genealogy? Is it the drama of it? I like the thrill of the hunt. Yeah. Uh, in research, period. Yeah. The digging, going to courthouses. I've been very privileged in some of the books that I've written to have my hands on 1800s real documents that come from the basements of post offices, courthouses, uh, special permission to do a few things in the name of research. For me, I'm just as happy to help you find your story because I've been doing my story my whole life, right? And I have a favorite. I usually do the maternal, my mama's side. Nobody had dug as much on that. And I've got cousins that do the Stevenses spread from here to Pampa, and there's hardly anything left to discover. They're really good researchers. So I kind of concentrate on the maternal or my mother's side. But I've done that for so many years now. I'm just as happy whether I'm researching for a book, whether I'm helping Amy, Natalie, any of a number of wonderful students over the years, because guess what? Then I get to share in their story, too. Have you seen any surprising things throughout your genealogy search? Um, nothing. I'm, I'm so new at it. I learned these things in my class about ways to do the research, the tricks to save the information, and then how to write stories. And I think that's another important part about it is writing the story once you get your information. Mm, like yeah. at the end of my 101 class, I take them to a set of books and make them look up a paragraph of what does my last name that I'm working on, what does that mean? Where did it come from? Is it from England, Ireland, India, you know, something. And I've got a book that rarely lets me down. It's a set of books. So I would start out my research by I just want to know the big picture. I teach people the big picture before I get to the bones, which is that pedigree chart, just who, who they were, birth, death, date, where they got married, the bare bones, that'll help me get you places. Mm -hmm. But when it starts to really take form and have meaning is when, like Natalie, who's been working real hard and having fun doing it, these trips, doing the research, it's addictive, guys. Mm -hmm. Um, Man, is it addictive. Cemeteries are addictive. Uh, Research, books, uh, you know, before you know it, you're going to need another bookcase to all some of yeah. these materials <laughs> that I help people organize. Um, and it's really, Amy, a lifelong. Don't expect to get it all done in yeah. two weeks or six months. Oh, it's more of a I'm sure. 
let's do this, you know, till we can't think of any more questions. And I'm here to tell you there will always be more questions. Yeah, I'm sure. I One of my aunts, about, I would say the late 90s, early 2000s, she got really into genealogy and she was doing it old school, like, you know, going to the library, digging, going court records and things like that. Um, she did figure out that when our family came over, I think they were from Holland, they actually had changed it at Ellis Island, which we hear a lot about. I know that's a really common thing that happens. So keep in mind, the more you search, and especially when you cross the pond like you're talking about, that spelling of first name and last name, and also those are going to change, and you have to be prepared to search under all the spellings you can think of. And at the same time, you'll be basically learning handwriting analysis when you search in these old records. Two S's or what look like two F's, as in Frank, those are really double S's as in C. And things like, besides the handwriting that you really have to get accustomed to, the spellings of the names, I would tell you, maybe even do a little research on nicknames. So is Margaret, oh, here's Mary. Well, Mary and Margaret, they were the same person. And on one census, she's going to be Margaret. And on the next census, she may be Mary. And on the next census, she may be Mary Margaret. Yeah. So you have you okay. just because that you don't see the name spelled right in front of you, nice and easy. Uh, that doesn't mean that they're not right in front of you, but the they may have had a nickname they were going by, a middle name, all sorts of reasons. And keep in mind too that everybody did not come through Ellis Island. It's probably the most well known. Right. But it's interesting for people to learn that as so many hundreds of thousands of people came during particular times from Europe to the United States. They didn't all come in right at Ellis Island. Many of them came into Canada. It was much cheaper to sell, for example, from London to Canada and then come down across the border into the United States, which is what they intended to do all along. And Ellis Island is what you think and know of it as, but before it was Ellis Island, it was Castle Garden. It was a beer garden. Did you know that? I did not know that. It's right there on the edge. Wow. You know, you can see the Statue of Liberty. (laughs) Um, But it was a beer garden originally before it was Ellis Island, and still people were coming in in ships. But just think about it. They're also coming in all up and down the East Coast Mm -hmm. at every major town, Charleston, Savannah, not quite so much down in Florida, but come on around the edge of Florida, and then you're getting into the Galvis, Corpus Christi, you know, the deep southern tech, and we have lots of people coming in there, and that's not even getting me started on a different culture of people that were coming in on the California side. Yeah, and I wonder, too, if sometimes, you know, if they were coming from another country, and it literally just got written on their death certificate that way, or their their first child in America, their birth certificate changed over to the new spelling, or who knows? I mean, I'm sure it's any sort of way, especially and back then when people, I mean, you wrote letters and things like that, but, you know, there wasn't, you know, social media with my name on it with the correct spelling, you know. Yeah, like with Natalie, and we, and we teach people, we put our trees out on things like, uh, we use Family Tree Maker and Legacy and Roots Magic. There's a couple of others. And those are software that you put on your computer and build your tree in. Then you can also load it up to or build your tree on Ancestry or okay. fam or Family Search out of Salt Lake City. Well, uh, one thing I would teach you right up front is if they're alive, just put private and don't put a single thing on that person. Mm. Not anything on that person would 
they're alive, well, that's so easy to steal their identity. It's still out there. That's smart. All right, let's talk about resources. Uh, Let's talk about books specifically. This is a podcast about books and we love sharing information. So tell us some good books to get you started, ones that are just fun to read maybe about genealogy. What do you got? Okay, I got them running out my ears at the (laughs) library. Um, And you can build a, a collection of specific books for your research and start adding those to your collection but I'd have you start at the library or a historical society, which is wonderful. But if I could have you spend money right now today, anyone, advanced, beginner, and just want one book, that would be the Crash Course in Genealogy. That is Paul Larson. It's a newer book. It wasn't put out 40 years ago. And here's why. It is the best book. For everything you're going to possibly think up, how do I do a certain thing? Research at the library. How do I research at the Library of Congress? Why is a birth certificate important? It spends no more than two pages and tells you how to do it while giving an example. So you're not going to get bored having to read a whole chapter of anything. You just look up, well, I need to know how to do this. I don't understand. And never more than two pages in this book. It's got color pictures. It's got good examples. It is unfailingly good. But one of the things I would look at your what you brought me or ask you, okay, well, what do you want to know about? Do you want to know about heraldry? Man, can I tell you good stories about Shakespeare and the family shield and knights and heralds? And I've got books and books and books on this. Or if you say, I think I have some Irish in me, I will take you to a whole section that I, I'm just a curator who has... When I walked into the library, I have continued to care a great deal about adding to what we already have. If you want heraldry or Native American like we're talking about, or any other country, English, Irish, Scottish, if I know that somebody's looking for it, just tell me and I'll order you some books. We'll put them in the library. You won't have to go out and buy them, but I have a tremendously good reference library for genealogy of the 26 top Panhandle counties, it is by far the largest collection in books, microfilm, free access to ancestry on the computers. I have the Amarillo newspapers from the beginning of time. Even online, whether it's online or books, I have so many resources, but I would teach you uh, the Texas State Archives, the Texas Portal to History. A lot of these archives, let's say Alabama archives. Okay, often you go to their archives or their state records, and they have a whole genealogy page for free. And you don't know what you're going to find until somebody teaches you not everything, not every book, not everything online says genealogy in capital letters. Sometimes you don't even know the questions to ask to help get you there. So that's where a good reference librarian would come in. And then there's another part, military. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So that piece of software, that's Fold 3. Um, there are others, like the Texas Rangers. Some of that I can get deep into. Uh, access to things like Daughters of the American Revolution. I can go to their website, and it doesn't say genealogy. It says Daughters of the American Revolution. Fold 3 says military. And I would teach you to maybe get several questions in mind or several relatives you want to see if they served in certain wars. 
And I have one more story. Can I tell one sure. more? Because you know I'm just full of it, right? I'm not sitting here making this <laughs> up, but I am full of it. So uh, Cynthia Hunt, a co-worker that I just love working with, she said, you've got to read this book. It's called The Book Woman of Troublesome Creek. It's by Kim Michelle Richardson. Well, it's a good book and an easy read, but it's genealogically important to me because these people have blue skin, and they're in Kentucky, and they're called Fugate. Their last name is F-U-G-A-T-E, Fugates, the blue Fugates. Is that real? Did she make that up? Did this author make that up? It's a novel, meaning it's fiction, but it's historic fiction like so much of what I research in. I often tie my art projects to history. So this is the book woman. She's a librarian. She's riding a donkey, most of the book, delivering <laughs> library books to the uh, haulers, the back hills in Kentucky, to poor families, and even helping them read. But she comes across the blue fugates. Are these people real? So I start looking up blue fugates online to see if that's you know, is that truth or is that fiction? Turns out they're real. Keep in mind, I have done genealogy charts, including for Natalie's classes, where I will trace fictional characters like all of the Star oh Wars. I can give you the full family tree of Luke really? Skywalker or Elvis <laughs> Presley, you name it, and I have done family trees on well, these people. Well, just so you know, my husband's last name is Presley. Okay. So he's going to be fun so to I've, look into. I've I'm got the Presley you. tree, and that is so fun. So I'm so. teaching about the Blue Fugates, who really oh did gosh. exist, and it's more of a, a chromosomal blood abnormality. Okay. They just didn't know it. They were, you know, they so rarely. So it wasn't something in the elements around them? No. It Interesting. Is, it is DNA. Well, here we are, back wow. to DNA. So now okay. I've got genealogy and DNA and real people back in Dolly Parton country, right? Yes. <laughs> We're back in the hills. Okay, well, what happened is two, uh, originally, not the, the fictional book, but originally two blue fugates married each other. So you know we're going to get more blue fugates. Well, I, I teach my whole class. I trace their tree. I tell their story. One of the last living ones that I'm aware of is I find him living up in Alaska. They don't want to be called blue. You can now take medicine, and your skin doesn't look blue anymore, kind of bluish purple. And if you look them up online, look up blue fugates, you will find some real, and they're the ones that are not terribly blue, and the ones that have been Photoshop altered, and, boy, they look like blue aliens. That's fake. So there's a mixture out there, but they really do still exist to this day. But as it turns out, in my classroom that day, which had only about 12 people in it, I had two blue fugates. And I wanted you to know that really? often in small settings, I will find someone who is related to someone in that classroom. In this case, it just happened to be two blue fugates because I'm like the only one I'm aware of. And I'm, I always show slides because um, I think pictures make everything better as a photographer. So I'm showing the young man that lives up in Alaska. He's trying to get away from people with his family. And I've got two sitting there going, uh, Miss Cindy, I have few gates. <laughs> Wow. When you least expect it. Oh, my gosh. It. When you very least expect it. What are the odds it. of that? That just seems so mind-blowing to me. Cindy, Natalie, y'all were lovely. Thank you so much for coming on. And if you need any more information, you can always stop at the downtown library, visit Cindy, and Natalie's probably going to be there, too. Thank you both for being on here. Thank you.
Check Me Out is recorded in the FM90 and Panhandle PBS studios on the Washington Street campus of Amarillo College. The show is produced by Hillary Holsey and me, Amy Hart. Special thanks to Stacy Clopton, Tanner Bass, and Colin Lutz. And thanks to Stevie Brashears for designing our logo and the Mag 7 for providing music. Thank you again to our supporters, friends of the Amarillo Public Library, Brick and Elm Magazine, and Humanities Texas. Check us out on Facebook and hit subscribe wherever you're listening. <laughs>